This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for March 24th, 2013, Palm Sunday. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today we come to Palm Sunday, the last leg of our Lenten journey, and we hear this interesting tale that has become so familiar for those of us who have been in the church for so long of Jesus riding into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey. But it's really such a fascinating story when you break it down into its parts. Jesus had come and he was staying in Bethany, if you remember, it's where uh, Lazarus lived with his sisters, Mary and Martha. We read about him last week staying there. They had a dinner party for him. And as they were there, he would then go from there, usually through the Mount of Olives or across the Mount of Olives, into Jerusalem. And sometimes he would stop at the Mount of Olives to pray, as we know he'll do on Monday, Thursday in the evening uh, before he's arrested. And so as he's traveling there, he gets to the Mount of Olives and he stops at the top. And he says to his disciples, go down into the city. There you're going to find a colt tied, and I want you to untie it. And, and bring it back to me. If anybody questions why you're taking it, tell them that the Lord needs it. Now, the Lord needs it is really kind of like saying, tell them God needs it. So, and you can imagine, you know, we, we read that as though that's just as a matter of fact, but imagine what that would be like in today's time. And the fact that they actually did it is even more amazing. Because if I said to you, go down to Speedway, there you're going to find a black Mercedes parked in front of it, um, hotwire the car, and bring it back to me. And if anyone tries to stop, you just tell them God needs it. Would you all be rushing out the door to go get the car? Probably not. But that would be the equivalent of, of what we're talking about in that time. But they do that, and, and oddly enough, the owner lets them do it, which is even more miraculous. Now, the one thing the owner probably does know is that there's a gate on that side of Jerusalem just across the Kidron Valley from um, the Mount of Olives. And that gate, which is called the Golden Gate, is called that because that is prophesied where the Messiah will enter into Jerusalem when he returns. And that's the gate that, surely enough, Jesus would ride this donkey through when he goes in. It's interesting now, I remember um, when we were there 14 years ago, we got to that Mount of Olives and we were standing there looking at the Golden Gate across the way. And, and it was about 14 years ago, we looked down and just to the right, you know what we saw? A donkey. He was just there. He wasn't tied up though. So, but he was just there. He, I thought, where one of us supposed to get on that? <laughs> but Across, if you look at the gate, it had been blocked up. When the Muslims captured Jerusalem from the Crusaders, they, they took it and they bricked up that whole gate so that if the Messiah did return, he would not be able to get back in. I'm not real sure why they thought if it was the Messiah returning, he wouldn't be able to get back in, but, but they seem to think that was important. So it's blocked up to this day. I mean, it's still that way. Somehow or other, after Jericho, I don't think that would be much of an issue with the gate. And so here, as you look across, though, there's a, a deep valley, the Kidron Valley, that goes down and then comes back up into Jerusalem. And Jesus would have ridden the donkey down into the valley and then back up. It's not a long way, but it's a lot further when you're going down and back up again because it's a V-shape. And so as he's going there, 
You know, one of the things that happens is that people start shouting, you know, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. People are getting excited because the idea of, of, of the Messiah riding a donkey through the gate of the golden gate, everybody knows what that means. You know, everybody knows it's a prophetic sign of the return of the Messiah and the freedom of Israel. And so all the crowds start joining in in this shouting. And they're really excited about this. And, and the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees say to him, tell your disciples to be quiet. Now, that's really important because just a little bit earlier, about a week earlier, they'd already had one insurrection in Jerusalem where some people had risen up and, and people had been killed. And, and the leader of that group had been arrested. His name was Barabbas, which means, actually, interestingly enough, son of the fathers. And so Barabbas had already been, you know, um, arrested for trying an insurrection, a rebellion against the authority of Rome in the city. And now here they got another guy coming in, doing the same thing, and only he's drawing a bigger crowd because he's doing it the way the prophets had said that it was going to be done. They can see what's going to come. Rome was going to crack down. The Romans weren't particularly noted for being kind to people who did not submit to their will. Um, you may have remembered the movie Spartacus. Anybody remember Spartacus? Um, great movie, but um, in, in that movie, which they take a lot of dramatic license with, the real story is fascinating because he's a, a gladiator who's a slave who leads a rebellion against Rome. This was before Augustus became emperor and before Julius Caesar, although not too long before Julius Caesar. Caesar would have certainly been alive. And so he leads this rebellion and he's succeeding. He's doing very well. And so finally the Romans build a wall you know, Pompey comes in and they build a wall to keep them in the southern part of Italy so that they can trap them and prevent them from going. And when they finally do catch them, most of them are killed. Now, not all of them were killed. That's what's interesting about it. There were about 4,000 who did not die in the battle. But do you know what Rome did with them? 4,000 people, they lined them up side by side along the main highway. Can you imagine that? You know, all along I-71, 2,000 people crosses on either side. You think they were trying to get a message across? Don't mess with us. We don't fool around. That story was widely known in the Roman world. Everybody knew that when you, you know, bother Rome, you're in trouble. Bad things are going to happen. So what the Pharisees are saying is, not really that unreasonable of a request. They can see what's about to happen. And then Jesus says the strangest thing to them. He says, even if all of these were silent, the rocks themselves would cry out. Did you ever think about that? The rocks would cry out? Even if everything, everybody here was silent, the rocks themselves would cry out. Now, rocks have a, a very special place in the story of God's traveling with us in history. If you go back, way back, to Noah, does anybody remember how Noah landed? He landed on a rock. Anybody remember the name? Ararat, Mount Ararat, because it had already poked up out of the flood. And so that's where he was able to land his boat. There's a rock. You know, a little bit later, when we see Abraham is traveling to the promised land as God had promised him, God tells him to take his son, his only son, Isaac, 
and sacrifices him. So Abraham climbs to the top of Mount Moriah, which interestingly enough is exactly where Jerusalem is built and what Jesus was looking at as he looked across the Kidron Valley. And there he finds a rock and he ties up his son and lays him on it to sacrifice him. And then God provides the ram. That rock is still there, by the way. It's now under the Muslim shrine called the Dome of the Rock. It's a Muslim shrine because Muslims believe that Muhammad ascended into heaven from that same rock. It's a very popular rock. But here that rock is right on Jerusalem. And previously, that's where the temple, the Holy of Holies, sat right above that rock. And we hear more about rocks. When Moses was leading the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, they were wandering through the desert and they they were dying of thirst because they couldn't find water. What did he hit? A rock. Isn't that amazing? Seem to be a lot of rocks in these stories, don't there? And then when we get to John the Baptist, John the Baptist is preaching repentance. And the Pharisees come and say, how dare you lecture us? We are children of Abraham. And John says to them, God could raise up children of Abraham from the rocks if he wanted to. You get the impression that rocks are a connection between the holiness of God and God's people very often? It happens a lot. And then, even more so, you have the the great wall of Jerusalem, which is made out of these huge rocks. And it's just an amazing engineering feat. Even today, it would be very difficult to build. And so here they are coming down, and as Jesus is riding this donkey, when he says, even if all these were silent, the rocks themselves would cry out. He's not speaking just metaphorically. Because if you look on the hillside, on the, looking back toward the Mount of Olives, do you know what you will see on the hillside of the Mount of Olives? Rocks, you know what kind of rocks? Big rocks, well, there we go. Tombstones and mausoleums. They buried people there. Even back then they buried people there, and they still bury people there. And to this day, it's a tradition among the Jews that when you go and visit the grave, they put a rock on top of the grave to remember it. Even the dead would cry out. You would hear them crying all the way from death itself, from Sheol itself. Because death is about to be conquered. It's only a week away. And all's going to change. So even the rocks would cry out. And these rocks end up having great meaning for us. Because for us, that is a sign of our salvation. Just as it was for Abraham, for, for Noah, when he found a place to land. For Abraham, when he, God provided a substitute for his son. When um, for... Um, Who's next? Moses, when he struck the water, when the people were dying of thirst, for the preaching of John of repentance, and now Jesus as he travels down through the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem. But those rocks don't end there. They keep going. As Jesus is tried, he goes and and they lay his cross upon one Simon of Cyrene who follows him. And they go on until they reach, guess what? A rock, Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there they sink the cross into that. Did you all know that that means that it is proof that God is the original rock star? (laughs) 
I just came up with that this morning. Don't you? That's, that's, that was really good. Hmm? Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know about the roll part. Well, the roll comes up in a minute. But, um, and so on this rock of Golgotha, the Lord sheds his blood for the sins of all. And if we, like Simon, would be willing to carry our cross, to die to ourselves and let all these sins that we have been observing and carrying along through this Lenten season, if we will take them and not shirk back, then he can die for those too. You see, we have to make a choice as to what kind of Christians we're going to be. Are we going to be like the Christians who are the crowd on Palm Sunday? There were a lot of people there for that one. It was a parade, big deal. It was real exciting. But by Friday, after you've been arrested, there weren't nearly as many people there crying out, were there? Although there were still some crying out. But now they're crying out something very different. They're calling out, crucify him. We have that danger in ourselves to be the crowd who wants to go with Jesus as long as it's exciting and new and neat. But if it gets to be old hat and ye, you know, who needs that? And we disappear. Or we could be like the ones who show up in Pilate's courtyard and who don't get from God what it is that we need. And so we feel betrayed and we want him dead. You know, get rid of him. What good is God anyway? Or we could be like the disciples themselves, the apostles, and we could be afraid, hiding. Or we could be like Simon and Mary and John and Mary Magdalene who stayed by his side the whole way, letting all the pain and suffering be something they share in. Because the truth is, is, is when we die to ourselves that we have the hope of everlasting life. Because you see, on that rock, which is the symbol of death, with a cross bearing on it, also becomes the hope of life that never ends. Because the truth is, is that on that rock, Jesus descended to the dead to proclaim the good news to those who had gone before so that the, the gates of death itself might be sprung open and all those who had died, who would choose to believe in the good news of God, could be sprung from death into everlasting life. For three days, he preached this to them. And we know that on that Friday as he was hanging on that cross that was sunk into that rock. When they took him down, they laid him down upon a rock where they wrapped him for burial. And then they carried him to a tomb, which inside of it had what? A rock, a slab that they laid him on so that he might have a place, a resting place. And yet, that rock wasn't the end of the story either because there's one more rock, isn't there? Anybody know what that rock is? The rock that's a rolling stone, kind of like a, a, a mill stone, only it's bigger, that was rolled away. Even that rock cries out that death could not contain the one who would die for the sins of the world. That's what Holy Week is really about. It's about walking that journey. It's about not shirking back. It's about not denying our brokenness, but rather letting it be the reality of who we are so that we might die to ourselves, so that we might surrender ourselves totally, so that we might die with him on that rock that we call Golgotha. Because surely if we die with him, we will live with him forever. So we're called to continue the journey. Continue carrying all of the sins that we have. 
and spiritually dying to ourselves, to our own willfulness, to the control of our lives, to everything that we have held sacred that was not God, to let it go and to allow God to dwell in us and we in him forever. Because that is the promise of the stone that was rolled away. And you cannot get there unless you first go to that same rock that is called Golgotha. So let us follow. And let us not just follow. Let us be like Simon. Let us take up our cross that we might die with him so that we can live forever with him. Amen. To look at our brokenness, to take it seriously, and to be willing to carry that load with us to the cross of Christ so that we can die to ourselves forever, that we might live in him forever. Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.